My name is Matt Miller, the campus pastor of New City Church Shawnee, and this is our podcast. I want to thank you for joining us today, and a special thanks to those who give financially to New City. Your giving makes this podcast possible. Now, I hope today's message inspires you to trust in and live like Jesus. If it does, I want to encourage you to click and subscribe to our podcast, share it on social media, maybe even send it to a friend in need. Man, enjoy today's message. Good morning. If I haven't had a chance to meet you, my name is Matt. I'm one of the pastors. And actually, the last time I was here was on Super Bowl Sunday. So my two weeks of mourning are over. <laughs> Went to Florida. Uh, we, t- we got out of town on that blizzard that came through. You guys remember those Code Code days? I pulled a Ted Cruz. I got out of town, right? And uh, <laughs> went to Florida. Uh, it's okay, I'm not a politician. And uh, I went to, we went to Florida to see Jen's family, my wife's family. And then uh, last week, we were visiting our Edgerton location down south. And I just want to brag on them. Uh, that was our first plant uh, seven years ago that we did. And man, Pastor Casey and the team out there are doing fantastic. Like I am, like it did my heart good to uh, see the fruit of their ministry. But it's good to be back here today. We're going to wrap up this series called What Happy Couples Know. And it's not just happy marriages, it's just happy couples. We are in all types of relationships. And I think I'm going to do some fun stuff today to help us kind of land this relational plane uh, very well. So let's jump in today. If you have your Bibles, I want you to open it to 1 Corinthians chapter 13 or open your favorite Bible app, swipe to 1 Corinthians chapter 13. And if you're like, I don't have either, get in the habit of having God's word easily accessible to you, right? Like we want to be a church. Like I'm going to read the scriptures to you. I'm going to do my best to teach the scriptures to you, but I want to teach you how to eat God's word. I want, to, I want to develop you into somebody that doesn't have to be fed to you, but also, man, you know how to eat, man. You know how to cut up your own steak. You know how to make your own baked potato, and you're ready to, to jump, jump right in. I want to start with a little reminder of what we've done over the past three weeks. Uh, we're in a series called What Happy Couples Know, and we've discovered that every single couple, every single person, rather, comes with one of these. And you're like, well, I don't carry around a basket. Yeah, you do. You just can't see it. And inside your basket is your hopes, your dreams, and your desires. It's all of the things that you hope one day will happen. Like, for example, uh, for the men in the room, and some of you girls might laugh, but what is she going to wear to bed? <laughs> this was not my hopes, dreams, and desires, right? I just, I kept, like I said, I told you guys, I kept the tag on it because we're taking this sucker back, right? <laughs> you have an idea of the house that you're going to live in, right? You have an idea of how much money, how much money you're going to make. Or how much money he's going to make. Or how much money she's going to make. And wow, all the stuff that you can do with this. Like you you have an idea in your head. You have an idea of how you're going to handle conflict. Maybe you grew up in a house where they screamed and they threw stuff. Maybe you grew up in a house where it was very passive and very quiet. You just kind of pushed stuff down. Heck, maybe you grew up in a house where there was healthy conflict. And you just simply sat around and you discussed things, right? But whatever it is, we all have this. And we carry it around. And the moment we meet somebody, whether it's friendship, dating, or marriage, the minute we meet somebody, we always go, here, make me happy. If you do all of these things, my life will be great. Now, we know that it's our hopes, dreams, and desires, but let's turn this bad boy around. And what they see is expectations. They, like... My wife, Jen, when we were dating, wasn't near as excited about my stuff as I thought she would be. She wasn't near Ilya's passion about the things that I was passionate about. And so we've talked over the last several weeks, how do we deal with this? Also, the second thing we've learned is this. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything, but are owed nothing in return. 
It's a key principle. You're like, man, I need to hear that lesson. Go back and rewatch some of this stuff. Happy couples know that they owe each other everything but are owed nothing in return. It is not your responsibility to make me happy. But when you do, it's not an expectation. It's a thank you, Lord. Hey, thank you. You didn't have to do that, but you did. And I recognize that you didn't have to do that, but you did. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. And in couples, happy couples, they understand that saying thank you and being appreciative and having gratitude makes the couple go, go from an eight to a 10 or go from a three to a seven. Like just being gratitude and having gratitude and being grateful. Something else we learned was happy couples are in a constant race to the back of the line. It's a submission competition. And it sounds crazy for those who have never been in a relationship like this. But when you make it your priority to meet the other person's needs first, when you make it a race, a competition, a healthy competition, to a submission competition, to race to the back of the line, and if each person's doing that, man, what a happy relationship, what a happy friendship, what a happy couple that will be. Today we're going to look at the fourth thing as we end, and it's this, happy couples make the happy choice. Happy couples make the happy choice. And I'm going to teach us this out of 1 Corinthians uh, chapter 13. Now, uh, 1 Corinthians was written by the Apostle Paul. And here's a little uh, just simple uh, facts about the Corinthian church or the people in Corinth, if you want to know. Uh, these people that Paul wrote to were new Christians. So they're not these seasoned, seasoned believers who've got it all figured out. They're new believers. Uh, they're not Jewish. They were Gentile. And so because they were Gentile, that means that they were raised in a world with a lot of little g-gods. Right, which also means that they had a lot of ways to worship. So you've got, instead of this one true God, you've got several gods, and that was the culture that they were coming out of, and they are trying to figure out how to worship this one true God. That was the culture. That was the people, raised with a completely different mindset, and now you have Paul, who's trying to write this letter to help these people who have this different upbringing, this different culture, this different type and styles of worship, you have Paul now not only saying, hey, there's not many gods, there's one God, there's this one God, but even more importantly, this one God is completely different from all the other gods that you used to worship. For us, this one God, the one God we serve, the God of the Bible, is completely different from all of the other little g-gods out there. And the primary way that they're different is this God, our God, the one true God, cares about his people. You've all watched enough movies of ancient Rome and ancient times and how worship was very, could be actually very sexual. Uh, worship could be very, uh, very pagan in its nature. And why were all of those things done? All of those things were done in ancient times to make a God happy. And so it was a very selfish worship system. We got to do these things so that all of this stuff happens to us. And Paul begins to introduce a God who says, hey, we don't do all this stuff for me. Uh, we worship because I care about you. I care about people. I'm not going to ask you to die for me. No, I'm going to die for you. And that's the God that Paul began to talk about. And so he's teaching his readers about love in chapter 13. If you've ever been to a wedding, you've probably heard this chapter of the Bible read. It's pretty famous. And I hope that maybe today I'll pull something out uh, that, you, that you didn't know or you didn't see. So can we jump in? And let's kind of see what God has for us today. First Corinthians chapter 13, verse 1. Paul writes this. If I speak in the tongues of men and, or of angels, but do not have love, I am only a resounding gong or a clanging cymbal. What Paul's saying is simply this. You can have all kinds of talent. Man, I could be a gifted communicator. You could be a gifted teacher, a gifted musician. You could have all of the talent in the world. You could be the best in your company, the top and brightest shining star, the one who's climbing the ladder. You could have all, you could speak like angels. But if you don't have love, 
Big deal. And this is important for us to know because what we typically do is we fall in love with people who have outward talent. We are impressed by the preachers and the worship guys and the worship girls. We're impressed by the the people that we see on YouTube or Twitch or whatever you're on. We're impressed by their followers. We're impressed by all these things. But then reality is, is we know very little about those individuals. Heard a pastor say, actually the pastor who inspired this series, his name's Andy Stanley, he said this, you think I'm a great communicator? Because a lot of people think he's a great communicator. He said, but don't judge me based on my communication. He goes, ask my wife how I love her. Ask my kids how I am as a father. Ask my friends how I am as a friend. And for us, this is what Paul is saying. Even if you had all this talent, and even if you had this great, great, great speaking ability, if you don't have love, you have nothing. Look at the next thing he says, verse 2. Paul writes, if I have the gift of prophecy and can fathom all mysteries and all knowledge, and if I have faith that can move mountains, but do not have love, I am nothing. What's he saying? What's Paul saying there? If I have knowledge, if I have this wisdom, if I have all of that stuff, I am the smartest person in the room, but yet I don't have love, I'm nothing. And again, oftentimes, what do we do? We let people's wisdom and people's knowledge and how smart they are and all their degrees and all of these things, we begin to prop them up and we begin to prop them up and we begin to prop them up and what we realize is they did not have love. My heart has been broken for the past two months over Robbie Zacharias. Broken. I had propped him up because of his knowledge and after his death, all of this horrible stuff has come out. It breaks my heart. It frustrates me, honestly. I find myself being aggravated. Man, I'm like, man, how do I keep my, my head and my heart? I knew really nothing about the man. All I knew was what I saw. I knew 25, 30-minute videos. And oftentimes, man, we just don't know people, and we fall in love with them because of what they know or what they do. Look at this third one Paul says. He attacks now money. He says, if I give all, uh, all I possess to the poor. Notice that, all. Imagine if you just gave all, all my money. Like, you're going to take your next paycheck, and you're just going to go give it all to City Union Mission. You're going to take your next paycheck and you're just going to give it all to your local church. All of it, not most of it, not 10%. All, Paul says. He says, if I give all, my, my, all I possess to the poor and give over my body to hardship that I may boast, but I do not have love, what's those last three words? Have nothing. Paul here just dismantles the prosperity gospel. This idea that I give it to God and so that God will give it back to me. Like, hey God, I'm going to tithe because I want that promotion. Hey God, I'm going to serve because I want her to say yes. Hey God, I'm going to do this so that you have to do this. That is not the gospel. Now, do I believe that God blesses us? Absolutely. I'm just not a big believer in name it, claim it, blab it, grab it. But I am a recipient of the kingdom of God, man. And I have seen God bless me where all I can say is, wow, Lord, thank you. I mean, this church is nine years old, and in nine years, we've gone from one to four. And other church planners go, Matt, what's your strategy? Like, how are you doing that? Like, wow, you, you must be living right. No, 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 I answered my phone. And somebody on the other end says, hey, what do you think about this? That's how things happen, right? God gives good gifts to his people. But we don't do something so that we get something. We don't give to gain. And Paul attacks that here. If you do, but you don't have love, you got nothing. You might get something from the world, by the way. You're talented. You might get followers. You're really smart. You might get the higher-paying job. right? If you're really generous, you may get accolades and hand claps, but you don't get those things from God. We get those things from man. Remember that time Jesus said uh, that the crowd wanted to make him king, but he withdrew from them because he knew the hearts of men? That's that weird, uh, what's that little pithy saying, uh, 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 I play for an audience of one? You ever heard that? I play for an audience of one. 
It doesn't matter if anybody shows up today. I'm going to preach to an audience of one. We believe it, but we also get in that trap that, oh my gosh, I hope they like me. Oh, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope, I hope. And we begin to think and pray and process and live as if everybody around you has control over your future. And what is the truth? The God of heaven, the one who is high and lifted up, the one who is set apart. He is the one who controls your day. Psalms 139, for you have planned each day of my life. God, you search me and you know me, you know me, you know me, you know me. You know my innermost thoughts. You know my heart. But yet we live oftentimes and we give praise and we give, like we follow, talent and knowledge and money. Wow, look at those people. They must be something. But if they do not have love, and they may be, because you can do those things and have love, right? Good, double thumbs up. But if you do those things but do not have love, Paul says you are nothing. Now, we're going to have that one slide up here because it says it three times. Notice right there. Go, go back, please. Uh, right here. Uh, it says, uh, I may boast, comma, but read this with me. Do not, help me, have love. Can we do that out loud one time? This is really important in this passage that sometimes we dismiss. The comma, but do not have love. Have love. Do you know what it means to have love? Have you ever thought about this? How do you have love? Love is not a feeling. It's more than a feeling. <laughs> Come on, that's good. Come on, I, I didn't even write that. That's just right there right now. Come on. <laughs> so here's the thing. Here's, here's, here's what separates Christians from the rest of the world. We get to have love. Love is a, now put it up, verb. Love is a verb. Have love. Love is not an internal feeling that is between us and God that's invisible no, no, no. Love is an outward. Love is horizontal. Have love means that you can see it, you can feel it, you can smell it, you can touch it, you can see it happen. It's the guy who says, I love my wife. And then there's all of these things that you can point to and say, well, he really does love his wife. Hey, it's a person that says, man, I love my friend. And it's not just words. Like you can point to all of the ways that this person loves their friends. Love is a verb. Love is to have love. And sometimes we just package it in this little emotional thing and, and we walk around and we go, well, of course I love her. Of course I love him. Do they know it? Yeah. I tell them all the time. Do you show them? I don't know. Love is horizontal. Love is a verb. Here's a way to, to maybe to process it. Love is the measure of how much we love God in the kingdom of God. Within the kingdom of God, love is the measure, not your talent, not your knowledge, not your giving. It's how you love the people around you. That is the measure at which Paul says to have love. And if you don't have love, if love is not a verb for you, then you know what? You actually, you have nothing. Then what Paul does, after he says those kind of statements, as he kind of sets the table, he then goes and he begins to list what love is. Here is how we have love. And he says this, he says, love is patient. Now, I've heard pastors do this before. I've heard Bible study leaders do this before. I think it's great. I think it works. Two ways that you can kind of change this verse to give it some application. In every one of those, you can put the word Jesus. Jesus is patient. Jesus is kind. Jesus is not envy, right? You can do that. But you can also do a self-assessment and put your name in that. Matt is patient. And my wife and kids would say, yeah, not really, right? I'm just, I'm not, right, at times. Uh, Matt is kind. Okay, yeah, Matt is kind, right? Like, give yourself a little letter grade, A plus to an F. How you doing so far, right? But Paul lists these attributes of how you can have love. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy, right? What does envy mean? It means I want what you got, 
And I really don't want you to have it. I, I, like, you don't deserve it, Doug. That should be mine. Why does Doug get to, oh, let me make it personal. You guys might say, you probably do, why does Matt get to drive that cool blue Jeep? Why does Matt, his hopes, dreams, and desires, he don't deserve that. I deserve that. Envy. Love does not envy. Love does not envy. You know what? In, in relationships, sometimes the way this can be shown up is love doesn't have to have the spotlight. You know, you ever find yourself in a story where they're talking and you're listening and you can't wait for them to hit pause, a period, or a comma so that you can insert until a bigger, better story? Even if you have it, what does it look like sometimes that, you know what, I'm not going to envy their attention they're getting. I'm not going to envy that spotlight. I'm going to let them shine right now. I'm just going to let them have it. In my story, my joke is so much more funnier than theirs. But it's okay because Matt will not envy. Love does not boast. Ooh, ooh, I'm big, I'm bad. Look at me. Right? And that's a problem, right? Sometimes we say, look at me, look at me. Paul says, no, no, love does not boast. Love is not proud. Love isn't prideful. Love isn't, uh, again, saying, hey, I am better than. I am. Even if you are. Isn't that fun? Sometimes you are better than. So what? Love doesn't care about that. Love is about the other person, right? Love is horizontal. Let's continue on. Paul writes next. He says, love, it does not dishonor others. My daughter, Christy, I have twin girls, and Allie and Christy, and Christy's 11. <laughs> and uh, often, because she... I don't know if anybody watches wrestling. Um, if you do, we can be best friends. But I, I, I watch a lot of it, and uh, my daughter Christy can cut a promo like you've never heard. Like, and I can cut a promo too, but this girl, man, you get her hot, oh boy, it's hilarious. Like, ticked off Christy is my favorite Christy. She's fun. <laughs> and the other day, she says, well, I don't want to be rude, but I'm like, listen, you can't start a sentence like that because what's going to happen? The other day, she got in the car, and she said, I don't mean to cuss, but that kid's a freaking idiot. I said, Christy Lee. <laughs> and some little boy in car line, boy, he had, he had done it. And I don't want her to do it, but it, I enjoy it so much, it's hard to stop her. You know, I'm in, I'm, in, I'm, in a, I'm in a parenting problem a little bit, right? Yeah, I don't want to cuss, but anyway, so maybe you don't want to cuss either. But it does not dishonor others. Love is not self-seeking. Me first, right? It races to the back of the line. It is not easily angered. Anybody easily angered? Yeah, I'll be honest. You guys can... Love is honest. No, I didn't say that. All right, so uh, easily angered. It keeps no records of wrongs. Woo! <laughs> Man, I got a list. You got a list? You remember what? Man, it's so... Like, here, here's my practical pro tip for love does not keep a record of wrongs. Begin to write your list in dry erase marker instead of Sharpie probably got it, but it's write it in dry erase where at some point you can forgive and you can erase and you can let it go. I mean, you write something in Sharpie in your brain, oh man, it's so hard to forgive. Amen? But man, keep a short list. Man, give those people to the Lord. Talk to Jesus about what they did and why they did it. Cut a promo on them, right? But end with, but I'm not going to hold it against them. Jesus, I need your power to help me forgive them. Last one, love is not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. Now, now this is important. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices in the truth. Think about this. Oftentimes, we can't wait for them to screw up. We delight in evil. I'm going to catch you, and then I'm going to let you have it, because I know what you're going to do, and I'm waiting. 
little sinister you, right? Just waiting for them to eat the apple. And Paul says, love does not delight in waiting to catch you, delight in you. I can't wait for you to screw up so I can tell you what you always do. And Paul's like, no, 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 no. What what does Paul say? Paul says it rejoices with the truth. Rejoices with the truth. And that's what we're going to talk about for the remainder of our time. We're going to lean off of that one as we jump into this next portion. This is, again, continuing in to 1 Corinthians 13, but that rejoices with the truth. Paul writes this, verse 7, Paul says, Love always protects, love always trusts, love always hopes, love always perseveres. Love always protects, always trusts, always hopes, always perseveres. One of those is a little odd, and it's the second one. Love always trusts. In my life, I don't always trust. Right? Are you with me? Raise your hand if there's ever been a time when you haven't trusted him or her or them. But yet Paul teaches us that love, Christian love, biblical love, God's love, always trust. And so when I read that, I go, okay, then I've got something to learn here because I trust often or I trust sometimes or maybe I don't trust at all. So what do we do when God's word says something, makes a statement, love always trust, and yet we don't? Well, let's talk about maybe two reasons why trust is so hard. Number one is this, is because they did it again, right? They did it again. Now, I want to get to explain it with this little illustration right here. I hope you can see it. And this is why trust gets broken. When we have an expectation, I'm sorry, we have, yeah, we have an expectation, a simple one, like, hey, uh, we're going to meet for lunch at 12 o'clock. And they show up at 1230, our experience, there is something that we do all the time. We, in this gap, we do this all the time and we don't even realize we're doing it. Again, friendships, dating, marriage, it doesn't matter. Like when we have an expectation and then what we experience is not what we expected, we make a decision right here every single, we do this so often you don't even realize you do it. All the time we do this. And we either assume the worst or we believe the best. Every time. Every time we either assume the worst or we believe the best. Why aren't they here? They forgot. They they don't care. They don't care. I'm not important. They don't love me. I bet they're talking to him. I bet they're talking to her. Oh, I bet he's still playing that game. We just, just, again, we have all of the tapes that we play and we continue to assume the worst. Happy couples make the right choice. In this gap... When what we expect is not what we experience, happy couples discipline themselves to make the right choice. That I am going to choose to believe the best. I'm going to choose to believe the best. I don't know what's happening, but I'm not going to assume the worst. I'm going to choose to believe the best. If it was an emoji, I'm going to choose halo instead of horns. Are you with me? What have I got here? Halo instead of horns. If you had a number above their head, I'm going to see a 10, not a 1. I'm going to choose the best in that person and not let my mind go to, oh, now why do we do that? Why do we often assume the worst? Why do we do that? Number one is this. It's because they did it again. Anybody ever had the same person let you down more than three times? Come on. Raise it high. Who's ever been mad because they didn't do what they thought they were going to do. Come on, be honest. We're going to be honest with ourselves here because there's something we forget. I want you to tell the truth right now. Have you ever done that? No, seriously. We forget this. Isn't it weird that we always have the best of intentions, but we question everybody's else, everybody else's? 
I mean, think about that. How often we are righteous in our anger at what they did, but I, I, I know I did it. I did it with right motives. And it, what we what we put on other people, we don't apply to ourselves. Like I have to remind myself all the time. I have let a lot of people down. I have made so many people angry in my lifetime. I have hurt people. I have lied to people. I have let. I've manipulated people. I mean, I've just there's things that all of us have done as we have grown in our relationship with Jesus. And it's like we forget it. We write that stuff in dry erase marker. But we remember everything else somebody else does in this sharpie, sharpie mindset. And we forget that, holy cow, how many times have I gotten on my son Luke, who's nine, and as I'm getting on to him, it's like the Holy Spirit says, you do it too, and on a much bigger level. Or how often you find yourself in an argument and what you're aggravated at that person for, you're like, oh my gosh, like, I did that last week. And I was much more gracious to myself. In this gap, every time, every time you make a decision to either assume the worst or believe the best, every time. Now, they did it again, and they always do it again. It doesn't matter, by the way. It doesn't matter. Every time, it doesn't matter if they always let you down. Every time you, Christian you, who is commanded by Jesus to love others as he has loved you, every time you and I, we have a decision to make. Doesn't matter them. Well, if they would get their act together, then I could believe the best. No, 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 no. That's not how this thing works. In spite of them, I'm going to choose this. I'll get to that in a minute. Because what I just said to you is the gospel. What about the second thing? Here's the second reason. It's because of who you are. You didn't come into the relationship with a blank slate. You are aware of this, correct? Everybody in a relationship brings baggage. Some of it you're aware of. Some of you in this room are in your second marriage or your third marriage. And here's the truth. Sometimes your current spouse says something that your old spouse used to say. And every time they say it, you hear their voice and you hold them to the same emotion. Is that fair? Is it fair? But remember, the fair is something you take the kids to. I tell my kids all the time, it works. Right? I tell people, like if you're waiting for something to be fair, you will never do this. In spite of your baggage, in spite of their baggage, in spite of their horrible habits, in spite of their upbringing, it is true that some of us in this room have a harder time trusting than others based on what has happened to us in our past. You didn't get to pick your parents. You didn't get to pick your grandparents. You didn't get to pick your siblings. And there have been things that have really happened in your life that has really effect, affected how you live and how you deal with trust. And although that, and this could be hard to hear, although that is very, very true, every time you get to make a decision right here. Every time. This is just a reality. Who you are, who they are, doesn't matter. Every time in this space, between what you expect and what they actually do, you, as a follower of Jesus, as a real-life human, you get to make the decision on if you're going to believe the best or assume the worst. Now, Here's a fun little thing. If you choose to assume the worst, I'm going to turn that around. If you choose to assume the worst instead of to believe the best, you will eventually be correct. If I always think that you're going to let me down, guess what you will eventually do? Let me down. Now, I don't know if it's easy, Martin, for you to go back to that Proverbs, or not that Proverbs, that 1 Corinthians but in 1 Corinthians uh, uh, 7, you know, Paul wrote, 
Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. And oftentimes, this is where we mess up. Right? We are, we are, we are, uh, we are going to delight in evil because they always do this and because of our own experiences. And Paul says, no, no, no. As a follower of Jesus, we, we delight in the truth. We take joy. We take joy in the truth. Here's the truth for you I want to end with today is this. In the band, if you guys want to come on up, you can. I'm learning this from my current pastoral counselor, and I love this. Assumptions are evil. Church, can we say this together? Assumptions are evil. This very guy, his name is Mike Grubbs. He's my counselor. He was actually in my home this past week with some friends of mine, uh, my city group on Wednesday night. And, and uh, Mike said to us, he said, it's not that assumptions are bad, and it's not that uh, assumptions are unwise, it's assumptions are evil. Like whenever you in this gap begin to uh, understand or make statements on why they didn't do what they said they were going to do, and you begin to assume the worst, that is evil. And the enemy wants to take that thought and he wants to plant it in your heart so that the, the, the relationship that you're in can never be what God has designed it to be. Now, here's the gospel. The gospel is is that while you were still sinners, Jesus Christ died for you. That no matter who you are in this room or what you have done, all of the reasons that you list out on why you can't be a Christian, why you can't go to church, why you can't whatever it might be, listen, while you were still in all of that stuff, Jesus died for you. Like that's the gospel. That Jesus believes the best in you. Well, Matt, how can you say that? Well, my scriptures teach me this. I don't even have to read it. I have it memorized. In in Philippians chapter 1, I believe it's verse 6, it says, He who started a new work in you will see it through to completion. He who started a new work in you, who has this great expectation, right, and it's the experience of your life, that between here and here, all of this stuff, Jesus is working on your life, and he's working on your heart. Here is the gospel. The stuff that we've been talking about over the past four weeks, this idea of, 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 of that people don't owe you anything, this idea of a submission competition, this idea of I make the best choice every time when I'm in this gap, that stuff is almost impossible to do on your own. And this is the gospel, that Jesus invites us, us regular human beings of all ages, he invites you and he says, follow me. I want you to step out of the way the world works and the way the world lives in this gap, and I invite you into a relationship where we're going to begin to do things my way. And he says, follow me. He says, follow me. He says, follow me. And as we follow Jesus, he begins to take care of our rough edges. He doesn't say to you, hey, go get your stuff figured out. I want you to see a counselor for 12 weeks, and once you're done, I want you to follow me. He doesn't do that. He doesn't say, hey, I want you to go. I want you to get your finances in order. Then come follow me. Jesus says, the gospel is, while you were still sinners, Jesus extends the invitation, and he says, I love you. And not only I love you, I want you. I want you. I want you to be a part of my kingdom. I don't, I'm not rejecting you. I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. Oh, yeah, all that baggage you got, Jesus is strong enough to carry it. He is the mightier man. And he just takes all of our excuses and all of our obstacles and all of the things that we say, well, I can never, I can never stop saying that. You are right. You can never, but he can always. He can always. And so Matt, what do I do with that? That sounds so great. What do you do? You do this. Yes, Lord. Yes, Lord. 
I don't understand everything. All I know is right now in my heart, in my mind, in my gut, I'm sensing Jesus saying, follow me, follow me, follow me. And your only response and your righteous response is yes. 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 And if you're not scared to death with that yes, I'd question it. I remember that day that I said yes. My hands were sweaty, my heart was beating, and I was nervous because I don't want anybody to think I'm weird. Man, who cares what they think? I care about what he thinks. And when I hear the word of the Lord speaking to my heart, dude, I'm leaning in. And when I hear Jesus say, follow me, yes, sir, because you're the only cat I know that died on the cross for my sins and resurrected on the third day. You're the only person on the planet that has radically changed the planet because of what you did on the cross and what you did three days later. And so, yes, sir, yes, sir, yes, sir. There's been a lot of talented people, and there's been a lot of smart people, and there's been a lot of rich people, but ain't one of them ever died for my sins and resurrected on the third day. And by the way, he did neither of those things in private. People saw it. And ever since they saw it, you can't shut them up about it. Amen? And that's why we're here today. So I'm going to invite you to stand with me. All right, I'm going to invite you to stand with me. The band's going to play a song. And if today's the day that the Lord is saying, hey, I, I'm inviting you to say yes to me, man, I want you to come on up here. i got Zach Cole. Zach, if you want to come up on this side, Rick and Brenda, if you want to join me over here on the right. And we got elders up here. And if today's the day that you simply need to take your next step and say yes to Jesus, man, you come and you tell one of our leaders and let us celebrate that with you. Father God, we love you. We praise your name. Holy Spirit, do something in us that we can't do. Jesus, you said the Holy Spirit, when you sent him, which you have, that he is our great counselor. He is the one that leads us into all truth. And so, Father, I pray right now you do what only you can do, that you convict of sin and you draw men and women to yourself. We love you, Father. In Christ's name, amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast, and thank you for supporting the teaching ministry of New City Church. I mean, if this podcast inspired you and you want to partner with New City, you can give now by clicking the link in the description or visit newcitychurch.com slash podcast for more information. Have a blessed day.